John chapter 1, John was pointing the way to Jesus. It says in verse 35 of John 1, again the next day after John stood two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he, that is John, saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard them, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said, What seek ye? They said, Rabbi, which is being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He said, Come and see. Come and see. And that's what we want to do today is to come and see Jesus. Last Sunday morning when we got together and I was preaching, we talked about from John chapter 2, coming to see the Jesus who has the power to transform. Today what we want to do is look at the Jesus who has power over distance. That's the Jesus we want to come and see. Antoine has already read to us from John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43 down through verse 54, which tells a story of the healing of the nobleman's son. If you go back up into John 4, you'll see that the Samaritan woman was who Jesus was talking to in John 4. The way that chapter started out in John 4 was you had Jesus going through Samaria, and the text said he must needs have gone through Samaria, verse 4. Now, most of the Jews must needs not go through Samaria. They would actually, if they were in Judea and going to Galilee, as Jesus clearly is, in verse 3 it said he left Judea and departed into Galilee. Instead of going the way Jesus went, they would go all the way over the Jordan River and cross over that way, walk all the way up through their land, and then back over to Galilee, crossing the Jordan River again, because the last thing they wanted to do was to be seen or heard of being in Samaritan land. But Jesus must needs have gone through Samaria. That's where he met the woman at the well. That's where we had the discussion about Jacob's well and the water that does not last forever versus the water of Jesus that does last forever. She concluded who she thought he was, and she went and told the Samaritans. After she told the Samaritans, they would come and they would engage with Jesus. And it says in chapter 4, verse 40, So when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many believed because of his own word. Then said the woman, Then they said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, after two days, he departed and went into Galilee. He didn't need that anybody testify of him, for he knew what was in man. Now, after two days of hearing, they said, This is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Nothing about miracles there in Samaria. Just hearing. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Now that's sort of background of what Jesus is going to say when we get into this text. First you have in verse 46 the place. It says, So Jesus was coming to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. 
So Jesus comes to Cain of Galilee. That's just northeast of Nazareth, just a little bit. And if you go further northeast of Nazareth and Cain of Galilee, you're going to run eventually to Capernaum. I'll tell you how far that is under verse 47 in just a minute. But this man had a son who was sick at Capernaum, and Jesus was at Cana of Galilee. Um, that's where he was located. Now, if he was a nobleman, as the text says, that meant he was somehow tied in to the power structure in Galilee. Now, you know who was the power structure in Galilee, right? If you flip back over to Luke chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee. Herod there is Herod Antipas, one of the sons of Herod the Great, who was ruler over Galilee. Now, little known fact, I bet you didn't know this, Herod and Jesus were not best friends. Y'all didn't know that, did you? I knew I'd sneak that in on you. Uh, so this was a man who was under the rulership of Herod. And you know, some of the things that caused a little bit of division between Jesus and Herod, he had been married eventually to his brother Philip's wife named Herodias. Luke 3.19 tells us that. And then he put Jesus' cousin, John, into prison because of that. And then you remember in Matthew 14 and verse 10, we find out that after some manipulation and some desire to have uh, his John's head carried on a charger, which had nothing to do with Apple or iPhones or any of the rest of those chargers, but a plate, basically a silver plate, silver tray, that he actually had John beheaded because Herodias did not like what John had said. Jesus would say in Luke 13 when the Pharisees warned him, Verse 31, they said, oh, Jesus, you need to be careful. You know, old Herod Antipas, he's up here hanging out, and he wants to kill you. He knew about how much the Pharisees were concerned about his life. So he says in verse 32, you go tell that fox. Said that about the ruler of his day. Go tell that fox. That's interesting to me. It's interesting that there was this division between Jesus and Herod Antipas, and this nobleman of Galilee decides to come and overcome all of that so that he can get what he wants from Jesus, which is the healing of his son. He was a nobleman. That meant he had high position, he had money. He had access to the best doctors of his day, the best hospitals, if such existed. He even probably had the best insurance of his day. Because nobody can live without insurance, we know that. But guess what he didn't have? He didn't have his son disease free. So he went to Jesus. Now Capernaum is located on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The name means comfort. So in verse 47, you see the plea. We've looked at the place, now the plea. 
When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He travels a distance of sixteen and a half miles to go to see Jesus to make his plea. And his plea is he wants Jesus to heal his son because he says his son is at the point of death. Meaning, this is it. The family has been called in. This son is about to die. Now, this is not like an 88-year-old man with a DNR about to die. This is this guy's son about to die. So he's upset, and he comes all the way traveling to Jesus and asks for Jesus to do what? That he would come down. Now, I pointed out to you it was north, but the Sea of Galilee was so far below sea level, it was actually a downward slope to get there. But he asked that Jesus would come down and heal his son because he's at the point of death. That's his plea. But here's the problem. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus said, except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, he'd just been in Samaria, and Samaritans had come to faith on him based on his word. But he thinks of this man not more like the Samaritans, but more like the Jews. For the Jews, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 22 says, the Jews seek a sign. The Greeks are the ones who would seek after wisdom. But the Jews sought a sign. That was a common characteristic of them. So this nobleman, he says, you're not going to believe unless you see a sign and a wonder. You've got to see something. Well, but the man was persistent. Verse 49. The nobleman said, sir, come down ere my child die. Notice he doesn't respond to Jesus' statement on a theological level. He, Jesus said, except you believe, see the signs and wonders, you won't believe. He didn't say, well, you've got to understand the importance of signs and wonders. Well, back in chapter 3 of this same book, Jesus, Nicodemus came to you by night, and, and he said, no man can do the works you do it except God be with you. So if you were complimentary of Nicodemus, why are you so down on me? He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't respond theologically. He responds on an emotional level. Because he has a problem that is emotional. It's close to him. Come and heal my son before he's dead. So what does Jesus say in response to that? He has a promise. Isn't it great to have a promise from Jesus? Here's one who is God, and we know God cannot lie, to give us a promise. You know, not everybody's promise is worth what the promise of God is. Some people will lie to you. Some people will lie to you on purpose. They may be trying to con you out of some money. Some people will lie to you. They don't even mean to lie to you. They think what they're telling you is true. But it turns out that it's not true. Other people just think they know what they're telling you is true. And it turns out not to be true. Especially in a medical situation. Uh, somebody comes in, and they're going to get checked out, and everything looks great. Blood work's great. EKG's great. Everything's great. Well, 
Uh, are you sure my father's not going to die? There's nothing wrong with it. What could he die of? Oh, he could die of it being his time. <laughs> you don't always know, do you? You may think you know, but you don't always know. So this promise that he gives him, he gives it to him, we're going to find out in just a minute, at a certain time of the day. And the man made note of the time of the day that he got the promise. He says, Go thy way, thy son liveth. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Notice the man believed the word. He took Jesus at his word. That's what faith is. If Jesus said it, that settles it. It's not if Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not, doesn't change a thing. If Jesus said it, that settles it. And Jesus said, go thy way, thy son liveth. So he believed and he went his way. Now in verse 51, what we've got next in verse 51 or uh, 50 through 53, you've got that promise. So continue with the promise. It says, and he was going down and his servants met him and told him, say, thy son liveth. Now, did his servant tell him anything Jesus didn't tell him? No. Here's my question. Did he believe the servant more than he believed Jesus? Think about the context now. He's with Jesus. Come down before my son's dead. Indicated he thinks that Jesus, unless he comes down, can't heal him. Jesus says, your son liveth. Go thy way. Go home. He's alive. He goes home. Now the servant meets him and says, Thy son liveth. Let me ask you a question. Who would you have believed more? That's the real question, isn't it? When your servant comes out and says, Your son is alive. Is that when you start the celebration? Or did you start celebrating as soon as you left Jesus? That tells whether you had faith or not. See, he hadn't told you anything you didn't know if you took Jesus at his word. He's told you something you already knew. Jesus said, thy son liveth. And this guy comes along and says, thy son liveth. You said, yeah, I know. High five. <laughs> oh, I knew that. I'm glad you know it now. When did you find out? Because I'll tell you when I found out. I'll tell you when I found out. I found out yesterday at the seventh hour is when I found out he liveth. Because Jesus said he liveth at the seventh hour yesterday. Now, if that was Jewish time, that was 1 o'clock in the afternoon. If that was Roman time, that was 7 p.m. at night. doesn't matter which time we're using, whatever time it is. Because he asked the question. He inquired what hour he began to amend. In other words, to get better. And they said yesterday at the seventh hour hour the fever left him so the father knew it was at the same hour where jesus said thy son liveth and himself believed in his whole house there is not only the promise but now you see that jesus has power over distance because jesus didn't go anywhere for any house call he didn't need to make a house call to heal this boy. Now the father thought when it started that you got to come down here if you're going to heal my son. 
And really, if you think about it, why wouldn't he think that? Now, there were some distance healings. Jesus healed a centurion servant in Matthew 8, 5-13. Jesus healed a daughter of a Canaanite in Matthew 15, 21-28. And in the Old Testament, there was somebody who wanted some personal contact with a prophet. Remember him? Naaman. 2 Kings 5. Elijah didn't come out, so Naaman got all upset. He wanted... He, First, he goes and goes to the wrong place. First, he goes to Ahab. You couldn't have gone to a worse place than Ahab if you wanted something from God. Then eventually, he goes up to the house of Elijah, and he sends his servant out, and the servant says, go wash seven times in the Jordan River. You'll be clean. He goes, from, he goes home mumbling to himself, talking to himself. That sorry joker, that so-and-so, that prophet, he didn't come out. I thought the prophet himself would have come out. He would have pronounced something over me, threw his jacket at me like Benny Hinn, and then it would have cleansed the leper. But that fool wants me to go down and wash in the Jordan River. Why would I wash in dirty water? I can go up to Abba and Farfar, back in Syria. That's some clean water. They got springs up there, you know. That's where Walmart gets their water. Why would I go there? Up this dirty Jordan River. I already got leprosy. What else am I going to catch? And his little maiden came and said, Hey, if the prophet had told you through his servant to do some great things, like go down to the bottom of the Great Pyramid with your nose and run a peanut all the way to the top and you'll be cleansed. You'd have already been doing it. But instead, he gave you something simple and you won't object to it. So Naaman said, well, I guess I'll just go do it. And he does it. And the seventh time he came up, he came up with his skin as white as a baby. Just like it was before. As far as I know, those are the distance healing miracles in the Bible. Now, I will admit, I didn't spend about 45 minutes trying to come up with them last night. But maybe you can come up with something else. But those are the ones I know about. At least this, even if you come up with number four, that's rare, right? But guess what? Jesus deals in the rare. If miracles weren't rare, they wouldn't be called miracles. They'd be called regulars. Right? Jesus has power and demonstrated power here over distance. Do you believe Jesus still has power over distance? You know, there's a problem that separates man and God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says... The Lord's hand is not short that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God. There is a separation between man and God because of sin. That's not the only separation, though. You know there's separation between man and man. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11. Wherefore, remember that in times past... Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Jew and Gentile were separated one from another. Jesus said when he came, he was coming to set uh, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law at 
against each other. Everybody knows he had to do that. That was already there. There was separation. We got the generation gap. We don't hear as much about it as we heard in the 60s. Because it's assumed now, I guess. But there's gaps. Everybody is separated. And as we enter into this social media age we're in, everybody has got more friends but more separated than they've ever been before from everybody else on earth. Am I right? They got a thousand and fourteen friends. But they can't remember the name of the one that put that cute dog up there because they don't really know who they are. And they spent thirty minutes looking because they wanted to put that dog up there themselves. Lots of friends, but separated more than ever before. Jesus can bridge all those gaps. Look what we've been in Ephesians chapter 2 at the gap that he bridged just between Jew and Gentile. Here are some folks that you would have thought never would have got along with each other. Verse 12, what we were. At that time you were without Christ, number one. Number two, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Number three, strangers from the covenant of promise. Number four, having no hope. Number five, without God in the world. That's pretty bad. You don't have Christ. You don't have God. You're a stranger. You're not a citizen of any kingdom. And you have no hope. That's what the man thought with his son. He thought his son had no hope, right? Other than Jesus. That's what we were. But what are we now? Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh. Now we're getting somewhere. Nigh means what? Close. Now we're getting close to God. How are we getting close to God? By the blood of Christ. What did He do to bring us together? Or 14 of the first half of 15 tell us that. For here is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished his flesh and enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. You know what he did to bring us together? He broke down the wall. There was a wall that separated Jew from Gentile, and he just broke it down. And then he went on and abolished it. First he broke it down, then he made it illegal to put it back up. He abolished that wall. What was that wall? Well, in Acts 10, remember when Peter was there and Cornelius was ready to send for him? Peter was there at the house of somebody called Simon the Tanner. And he was up on the roof and it got to be around lunchtime and began to get hungry and he decided to take his siesta. And he's napping. And as he's napping, he's dreaming. And as he's dreaming, he's dreaming about things that you shouldn't dream of. Because they was off limits. He was dreaming, and he said, Woody's, Bono's, Sonny's. That's what he was dreaming. He 
didn't smell no Texas barbecue. This was all pork. And he was dreaming, he said, catfish. Because that was off limits too. Shrimp. Everything that was off limits, that's what he was dreaming about. And who was fixing it but God Himself? Putting it down in a sheet. Basically saying, here's your picnic lunch. And he says, I can't eat that. Not so is good. Lord is good. But when you put them in the same sentence, it's not good. He says, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. That's why in Acts 23, later on, he said, I've lived in all good conscience before God to this day. I've never done that. Now, how many other Jews could say that? I don't know. How many? But I know this. I know about Jews living today. And the Jews I know can't say that. But though, I don't know about first century Jews, what they could have said. But Paul could say that in all sincerity because he said it to God. And God didn't say, no, Paul, don't you remember that time? He had to come back a second time, then a third time, and he woke up. And he said, I wonder what in the world that was about. Weirdest dream I ever had. I don't even remember eating any fried stuff before I went for my nap or anything. And knock on the door. I'm from Cornelius' house. Come and see him. He wants to talk to you about something. Gentile? I guess I'll go. And he goes. And when he gets there, he begins to talk to Cornelius. And as he begins to talk, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius, just that he had Peter at the beginning, back in Acts 2. And he said then, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He has broke down the wall. He broke down the wall. And now, I can go with you to Woody's, Cornelius, as soon as I baptize you. And we'll go together. What a wonderful story. Why did he do it? Second half of verse 15 and verse 16. For to make it himself twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the image thereby. So he did it to make two people, two distinct peoples, Jew and Gentile, one, but not just so they would be united. That's not the goal. Unity is not the goal. Go back, all the way back, 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 back to Genesis. And back in the book of Genesis, after the flood, God told everybody, spread out all over the earth. And a certain set of people said, we sort of like Babel. We think we're going to stay here. In fact, we think we're going to build a, a deluxe apartment all the way up to the sky high. And we're all going to be moving up. And they started building that apartment. And they wasn't moving nowhere because they found their promised land, they thought. And as they started building, God looked down on their little building that was supposed to be built up to heaven. God's having to look down on it. As God looked down on their little building, He said, They're not doing what they're supposed to do. I'll fix them. 
And he started and he sent languages so they couldn't even communicate with each other. One was speaking Spanish and one was speaking French and one was speaking Portuguese. And they couldn't build their building. So they all scattered as God had intended from the beginning for man to scatter all over the earth. They were united then in opposition to God's will. So he had to break that up. Now he takes all those same people and wants to bring them together. But look what it says. That he might reconcile both unto God. So the Jew and Gentile were brought together so that they could both go unto God. That's the key. That's why he did it. He wanted both to be reconciled to God. Do you know, if you're not reconciled with somebody, then one of two things is the case. Either you're not reconciled to God, or that somebody is not reconciled to God. Or both of you is not reconciled to God. Because if both of you are reconciled to God, guess what? You have no choice but to be reconciled to each other. Because God has put you in the same family. And that don't mean you don't have family feuds from time to time. But what that does mean is you are reconciled to your brother because of who your father is. In fact, what was his message in 17 and 18? He came and preached peace to you that were far off, Gentiles, and to them that were nigh, the Jews. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. What was His message? Well, Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, He is the Prince of Peace. John fourteen twenty seven. He says, My peace I give unto them, not to the world do I give it, But to my followers, I give peace. And really where the peace comes into being the most important is not the peace between you and I or he and thee or she and he or he and he or nobody else. The most important peace is when we're both reconciled to God in peace. Look with me to Romans chapter 5, starting there in verse 1. And we'll see that. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom, that is by Christ, also we have access into grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He goes on to say, that does not mean we won't have trouble. Look what he says. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience. Experience, hope. Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Now, think about God for just a minute with me. Think about Christ having power over distance. Here's God in heaven. 
He has power over distance. He's going to reconcile us to Him. But how is He going to do it? How He does do it, He sends someone from heaven to earth. He sends someone from heaven to earth who is both man and God. That's how He reconciles us. Both man and God. Here we were dead spiritually. We're on death's doorbed spiritually just as surely as the, as the nobleman's son is almost dead physically. Amen. We got a fever killing us, and that fever is sin. Yet scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perfect for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus came to earth because he is the God-man who can bridge all the gaps because he is the mediator. First Timothy 2 and verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man, Jesus Christ. Notice what it says there. One mediator between man and God, First Timothy 2, 5, the man, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. The man, he had to be a man to be a mediator. Back in the Old Testament, Job cried out for a mediator. He wanted a daysman who could stand between him and God. And God sent the daysman. Also, he is the one God-man who can bridge that gap by being our high priest, as Hebrews 4.14 says. He is mediator. He is high priest. He is sacrifice. He is everything we need to bridge the gap. Because if you're here and I'm here and God's up there and we both bridge our gap with God, you know where we are? We're together now. That's what happened in Acts 2. The miracle that God wrought in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 at Babel was reversed on the day of Pentecost. It took every man speaking his own language to divide man. And it took God speaking to every man in his own language to unite man. What a beautiful picture. And you know how God did that? He had to cross that distance. And God has power over distance. Even today, God can answer your prayer without sitting next to you. Isn't that wonderful? If He couldn't answer your prayer without sitting next to you, you know what we'd have to do? Call everybody else and say, hold on, don't pray right now. Because it's my turn. You ever think about that? If God had to be next to somebody to answer their prayer, then nobody could pray at the same time anybody else was praying. But He doesn't. Because He has power over distance. Just as we looked at last time, He has power to transform. He has power over distance. We'll continue on with this study. Uh, over the next year, uh, six months or so, or however long it takes. But if you're here and never obeyed the gospel of Christ, you can do so by hearing God's word, believing it, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ 
being baptized for the remission of sins. And if you've done that and gone back to the world, remember that He sent His only begotten Son to earth for you. And you can return to Him. Because we stand as we sing. I wonder.